about this morning. But the title of my message today is Who's Got the Remote? (laughs) Who's got the remote? I don't know if your house is like mine, but there's a constant fight over the remote control. Not, we're not trying to get the remote control. You see, at my house, we're trying to give it away. It's like hot potato. Everybody sits down and somebody throws the remote control. You're like, I don't want that. You take it. And the reason is, is because you never know what's going to come on the commercials. And then by God, whoever's holding the remote and Victoria's Secrets comes on and you don't turn it fast enough, my wife's going to get you. So even myself, when they throw me the remote control, I throw it back. I don't want control. (laughs) It's true, though. It's like, come on, man. We can't even watch TV. But this message came out of a a mentoring uh, session I had with a 12-year-old boy a couple weeks ago. And he's one of the boys I'm mentoring. And and, and I love the kid. He's, He's a great kid, really has a great mind. He's just had a lot of bad things happen in his life. And... Uh, honestly, most of it has been his fault and and because of his doing. But so we sit down in this, this session and, and and I'm talking with him and I'm like, man, you know, what's going on, man? Everybody's telling me all these things about you, bro. I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to believe the best in you, man. Like, like what's why are you in trouble everywhere you and he just just goes off just like, well, you see, and he was man, he was good. I mean, like I almost believed him. He was like, well, you see, like he practiced it. You see. I've come under the, the, the circumstances that, you know, the people in this school are really against me. And I mean, he just goes on giving all these excuses on why he's in trouble. And finally, by the end of it, I was like, okay, shut up. <laughs> that sounded great, but shut up. <laughs> What's the common denominator in all these problems? You. And so then I started to talk to him about a remote control. The Lord just gave it to me right there. He said, tell him about a remote control. I said, well, according to what you're telling me, you're letting everybody else have your remote control and they get to control your life and what it's going to look like. That's what you're telling me. You're telling me because everybody else is causing all these problems in your life and because of your circumstances, you have to act this way now because other people have your remote control. I said, why can't you just take your remote control back and keep it? It's called self-control, right? So this morning, I want to prove to you in Scripture how self-control is an attainable fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, you should know these. As a believer, you should really know these uh, by heart. It says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I go, wow, self-control, it made the list. I mean, think about all the things, all the fruits that the Holy Spirit could produce in our life. And the the one thing that made the list is self-control. And I go, so wow, so self-control is a fruit It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing, right? Self-control is a fruit. It's meant to produce life. It's meant to give nourishment. It's meant to be a good thing. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So as believers, we should be producing in an increasing manner the fruit of self-control. 
It's a good place to say amen. So let me show you how this works, though, because the verse actually tells you who produces the fruit in you. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. So for me, when I hear that part, I go, takes a little bit of pressure off. Right. So I I don't have to be Mr. Self-control. I don't have to exercise it like I would think I would have to if the Holy Spirit wasn't involved. So let me show you how it works. So when I get into a situation where I'm tempted to lose control. If I decide in my mind and in my heart to walk in self-control, the Holy Spirit comes alongside of me, gives me the power to do so. And in doing so, when I walk in self-control, he begins to produce that fruit in my life. It begins to grow. It begins to strengthen. Then it begins to nourish my life. There's nothing like walking in self-control these days. As a grown man, temptation follows me all the time. Everywhere I turn, temptation is there. Sexual, food, (laughs) it's real. Anger, rage, violence, those things are always, I had to drive in Lafayette three days this week. I was tested. You know it's Christmas time. And Lafayette by itself in the middle of the summer is crazy, but you throw Christmas in the mix and people forget how to drive. It's like they've done so much shopping, they lost their motor skills. And I got to walk in self-control. I'm like, geez, Lord, can I just get an appointment in like Mamu? I mean, can the doctor go to Mamu? Can I just? (laughs) Temptations everywhere. But the minute I decide to to walk in self-control, the Holy Spirit comes alongside of me and he gives me power to do so. You see, God is on your side. You got to get this. God is for you, not against you. He wants you to walk in the fruit. If the, the Bible says the Holy Spirit produces this fruit in your life, then he's the one that's doing it. He's doing it when you engage with him. When you participate in the process. And so it's a fruit of the spirit. In James, he talks about how controlling the tongue and not controlling the tongue can be a a good thing or a bad thing. James actually says that that the tongue is, it's, it's in one minute, it's blessing and singing praises to God. And the next minute, it's cursing. And bringing destruction on mankind. Isn't it amazing how you can walk out of church and you've been in here like, oh, Lord Jesus, I love you. And you get right there and nobody wants to let you out. Sorry, people. Got no love. God, y'all should have been in church where I was. <laughs> but he says with the tongue, he compares the tongue to a rudder on a ship. The rudder is not the biggest part of the ship. The rudder is actually one of the smallest components of a ship. But it's funny how the smallest component of the ship can tell the ship where to go. It can tell the ship to stay on course. Or it can tell the ship to stray away. (laughs) It can tell the, the ship how to go through a storm. Or it can tell it how not to go through a storm. Right? 
So he compares it to a rudder. Then he says, the tongue is compared to a tiny spark. A tiny spark can light a great forest fire. It's amazing. Louisiana's getting snow and California's burning. Oh, wow. A tiny spark can start a great forest fire. How many of you have ever said something stupid? You should all be raising your hands right now. (laughs) And you had consequences from that? How many of you ever said something and as it was coming out of your mouth, you were like, no, come back. I do it with my wife all the time. Driving in traffic in Lafayette. It's Lafayette's fault. (laughs) Telling you. I get tempted myself. Here's the the incredible truth is that God doesn't command us to walk in self-control and then not come alongside of us to help us. If he commands it, then he's going to come alongside of you and help you. Isn't that good? Isn't it, isn't it like <laughs> refreshing? That God's going to command you to do something and then come alongside of you and give you the desire and the power to do it? I think that's incredible. So this morning, I want to show you a story found in the book of Acts verse in chapter 16. I want you to turn your Bibles there. The non-Bible bringing people. <laughs> I remember being a kid in the Baptist church. Listen, when you was Baptist, you brought a Bible everywhere. Come on, somebody. All my Baptist people. Right? And when the preacher said, turn to Luke chapter 16, what'd you hear? Right? Today it's like. Luke chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 16. Actually, we're going to start in verse 22. I'm going to tell you from 16 to 22. Paul is on his second missionary journey. He was trying to go some other places to preach. The Holy Spirit kept stopping him. The Holy Spirit was leading him to, to, uh, to this place that he was at now in Philippi. And, and so he's, he's there. And Paul is, he's, he went down to the, to the shores and, and to find some people that were praying, that's what he would do. Paul would either go to the synagogues, and if there was nobody at the synagogues, then, then the, the tradition was is that the people would go down to the riverbanks or the seashore, and they would have these incredible prayer meetings. And so Paul was going down to the, to the, to the shore to, to, to get involved in a prayer meeting, and then this is what happens. It says in verse, verse 22 that he was, he was, he was arrested. But before he was arrested in this town, there was a girl who was who was demon possessed. I'm just going to read it to you from verse 16. I know it's not on the screen. That's why you should have brought your Bible. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a demon possessed slave girl. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her masters. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. 
Now you're thinking, well, man, that's not really a bad deal. I mean, if you got a business mind, you're going, well, well, bro, why'd you cast out the demon? She's like advertising for you. I mean, I would be thinking, you know, she's advertising. You got free advertisement. This, this girl who's normally a fortune teller is going around saying, hey, these men are from God, and they're here to tell you the way to life. Wouldn't think that was a bad thing, right? You know what exasperated Paul? Was the source by which he was coming from. Paul had an issue with the source, not an issue with the message. And so Paul turns after he's had enough, and he casts the demon out of her. Say demons are real. If they weren't real, you wouldn't have the power to cast them out. Verse 22. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped, which means they just ripped their clothes off, and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, now, now wrap your mind around this. They're, they're in this city that the Holy Spirit told them to go be in. The Holy Spirit wouldn't let them go anywhere else. They're coming into this city just to do what God wants them to do. That's their only motivation. That's their only goal is to go in, preach the gospel, establish a church, and then move on to the next place. And so they go into this city and demon girl shows up. And she's, she's loud. She's boisterous. She's following them around. Hey, these are men of God. They're here to tell you how to get saved all day. All day. Paul has enough. It's time out. This ain't right. What you're saying is not necessarily wrong. But who's saying it is wrong. Demon come out of her. So watch this. Was that a bad thing or a good thing? That was a good thing. (laughs) He cast the demon out the girl. Now she's in her right mind. She's, She's sitting in a rightful place now. For her, it was the greatest thing that ever happened to her. For the people that owned her, it was the worst thing that ever happened to her. Because she was in the business of telling fortunes, making money. She was basically a fortune-telling prostitute. She was getting paid to tell fortunes. So, So watch this. Paul comes into the whole thing, coming here because the Holy Spirit led me here. I'm coming here to do your work. I'm preaching the gospel. I'm praying with folks. I'm looking for people to, that are trustworthy to give them the responsibility of the church. A girl comes over here. She's demon-possessed. I cast the demon out of her. It's all good. I'm doing what God wants me to do, and I get arrested. Not only do I get arrested, I get stripped, which was enough. <laughs> then I get beaten with a wooden rod. I'm going, man, I was just here to do what God wanted me to do. I didn't do anything wrong. Right? So then he gets thrown into jail. Not just regular jail. (laughs) Into the inner dungeon. Like the jail within the jail. And stocks or chains are put on his feet. Now, could he have had something to complain about? Would you have complained? Would you have had a bad attitude? Come on, let's be real this morning. 
Can I tell you, I would have probably kicked and screamed. I, I would have raised some cane. I would have probably fought before they beat me with that rod. I would have felt like a victim after a little while. Like, golly, man, I came here just to do what God wanted me to do, and now this happens? But come midnight, Paul and Silas are singing hymns and praising God. Totally opposite of what I would probably be doing. Can I just be honest with you this morning? I'd have been singing something like, you know, ain't no sunshine when she's gone. Boom, boom. Just old blue song, you know, just like feeling sorry for myself. That's what I'd have been doing. I'd have been singing something sorrowful and, you know, but these guys, they're singing hymns and. They were praying and singing hymns to God. The Bible says the other prisoners were listening. That word listening means it gives the connotation that, that they were listening with a joyous expectation. Suddenly, in verse 26, there was a massive earthquake. And the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Wow. Good thing they weren't singing my song, right? <laughs> they were praying and singing hymns, and the earth began to shake. Who shakes the earth? God shakes the earth when he wants to shake the earth. How he wants to shake the earth. He wants to get you out of a situation. He will shake the earth to get you out of that situation. Come on, somebody. You need to stop focusing on your situation and on your circumstance and start singing praises to God. And like we talked about last week, keep your mind on things above and not on these earthly things so that God can shake the prison that you're living in and the doors will come swinging open. Right? That's what that's the kind of God we serve. All he wants us to do is not freak out. Just trust him. They were beaten with rods, stripped of their clothes, thrown into the inner prison in chains just for casting the demon out of a girl. Think about it. You see, every situation we go into, we have one or two choices. I'm either going to be led by the spirit or I'm going to be led by the flesh. The flesh will punch you in the nose. The spirit will sing hymns. (laughs) Come on, somebody. We have two choices. You're a believer. The Bible says that when you gave your life to Jesus, the Spirit of God came to live inside of you, and you're now called the temple of God where the Spirit of God dwells. Which means you don't have to go the way of the flesh anymore. You can go the way of the Spirit. And when circumstances and situations come, and listen to me, they will. (laughs) I'm not going to preach a false doctrine to you that says when you gave your life to Jesus, everything became fine. In fact, you were probably better off physically before you gave your life to Jesus. You didn't have much attacks going on in your life. But now that you give your life to Jesus, you watch the devil's coming after your relationships. He's coming after your mind. He's coming after your finances. He's coming after your stuff. Why? Because you're a temple of God now. 
The old man died. The new man has come. This new life has come and it's filled with the Spirit of God. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. And he's threatened. You weren't a threat to him before you gave your life to Jesus. But the minute you said, Lord, I surrender, you came up on his most wanted list. And he's been after you ever since. Come on, if you've been a believer for any amount of time, you know this is true. That bad things are going to happen to good people. Look at Paul. He did nothing wrong. Nothing wrong. But he was beaten and thrown into prison. But that's not the end of the story. So watch this. Paul and Silas decide to not complain, not gripe, not murmur, not try to break themselves out. They, they decided not to let the situation determine their response. They decided not to let the circumstances dictate to them how they were going to live and how they were going to respond. Instead, they did the one thing they knew to do, which was to continue focusing on God. That's what prayer and, and singing or worshiping does. It keeps your focus on God and not on yourself. You ever get tired of yourself? Start singing and praying. You'll strangely forget about you. Some of y'all are like, I'm doing that today. So the, all the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. I find it pretty amazing that doors swing open and chains fall off, but there's no physical damage to anybody. Now think about this. It takes a lot of force to knock open a, a rod iron, like a real iron door with a rod. The Bible says that there was a rod that would, they would push through into the stone and that's how they opened and closed. The, that rod shook all the way out and fell to the ground. The chains that was on them fell off. Come on, somebody. The same power that broke all those things loose protected them in the middle of it. Now, I don't know about you, but that's pretty good stuff. That even when God's breaking you out, he's still protecting you. Even in your darkest hour, he's still concerned about you. He's looking over you. He's watching out for you. He's protecting you. But if you're so focused on yourself, you're never going to realize that. You'll never realize that. You'll miss the whole thing. The chains come off. Which for Paul and Silas was an incredible thing. And for the rest of the prisoners, I bet they were sitting there like, whoa, bro, that's a song. What was that song that dude was singing? <laughs> I don't know. We need to cut a record. I mean, that's like a powerful song. I mean, they weren't even believers in like They start singing and praying. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, don't. Stop. Don't kill yourself. We're, we're all here. The jailer called for lights and ran into the dungeon, watch this, and fell, fell down trembling, say trembling, before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
I want to tell you, I, I got a little bit of issue with that verse because I, those two verses, because I'm going, okay, hang on a second. The, 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 the earthquake, the doors came on, the chains fell off, the jailer comes running in. He's going to kill himself because he knew that if the, if the prisoners escaped, they were going to kill him. So he was just going to take his own life. Paul says, no, don't do it. Stop. We're all still here. And then in an instant, he's at their knees or he's at their feet, trembling, asking, what can I do to be saved? Now, I don't believe God left some verses out. I really believe that that's what happened. I believe he really came running in. And when he realized that they were all still there, the spirit of God came on him and he was at their knees or at their feet trembling. What must I do to be saved? You see, when you walk in self-control, it's a fruit of the spirit. And when that fruit of the spirit gets demonstrated, it affects people around you in supernatural ways. You see, their self-control led to the jailer and his whole household being saved. Think about that. (laughs) Christmas is coming, y'all. You go and see them. (laughs) You got to go see them. You got to sit down and eat food with them. And I would be hanging on to this promise like, Lord, if I walk in self-control, will you save all these nuts? (laughs) I'd be putting pressure on the story. Lord, you did it for Paul when he's in prison. I feel a little prisoned right now, Lord. Would you? But if one of them slips on the sword, no problem. (laughs) I'm just picking. I'm picking. I'm picking. I'm just picking. They replied, he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is the officer speaking to the prisoner. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Wow. Think about this. He was the prison guard. He was the head of the prison. In the world's eyes, he had way more authority than anybody else in the prison, especially the prisoners. Sometimes we get intimidated by the authorities in our life. And we don't share the gospel and we don't demonstrate the power of God because we're, we're more afraid of the authorities in our life than we are of God. We respect the officials more than we do the creator. Right? But you see, in God's eyes, the minute you gave your life to Jesus, you became the most powerful person on the planet. And my God, if the church ever starts to believe that, watch out. How are you powerful? How are you now the most powerful person on the planet? Because of who's living inside of you. It's not because of you. It's not because of your genealogy. It's not because of any of those things. It's because of who's living on the inside of you. He gives you the authority to walk on this planet and everywhere that you go, possess the land. He gives you the authority to walk into a room and change the atmosphere. 
change the temperature. Now, some of you are looking at me like you don't believe that. I'm praying that one day you will. Because the minute you do, the minute you start realizing how much power lives inside of you and you start living to the potential that God has for you, the world around you will forever be different. Forever be different. Paul didn't bow at his feet. He bowed at Paul's feet. Think about that. His whole house gets saved. The prison guard begins to wash his feet and wash his wounds. Paul then baptizes them. (laughs) This is after midnight, y'all. So what'd you do last night? (laughs) What'd you do after midnight last night? Well, Pastor, I wasn't in prison. Verse 34, he brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. He went to prison that day. Yes, he was beaten. Yes, he was shamed. He went to prison. He didn't let his situation or his circumstance control his outcome. Come on, you got to get this. He didn't let the situation have his remote control. He kept the remote control called self-control. And and the Holy Spirit came alongside of him so much so that he began to sing and pray and walk in self-control. And that fruit was so good that the earth shook, the chains fell off, and the prison guard's family got saved that day. Tell me God don't know what he's doing. As believers, you got to get past the fact that some bad things are going to happen in your life. And you need to see the problems as the opportunities. You need to see past the problem and into what God wants to do on the other side of the problem. I'm preaching to myself this morning. Come on, somebody. You need to look past it so that you can see there's there's an opportunity on the other side of it. Listen, most of the problems in your life aren't because of sin. They aren't because God's mad at you. Tell the devil to shut up. It's because you're living in a fallen world where there's issues and you got a real enemy who's after you, but you got a real God who's for you. Right? And he's got something for you on the other side. But I see too many people today living their whole life like a victim. It's like one bad thing happened or they didn't get something they thought they were supposed to get. Or maybe their marriage didn't turn out like they thought it was going to turn out. Or maybe their life didn't, didn't get to be what they thought it was. And they live in a depressive state of victimization. They live in this woe is me mentality. I never got a break. I never got a chance. Nothing good ever happened in my life. Living like Eeyore. When God called you to live like Tigger. That's fresh off the boat right there. Deep spiritual truth. Come on, somebody. Are you seeing this this morning? Listen, when God saved you, the old man died. 
which means the old way you used to respond to things died. The old mentality died. The old reactions died. The old aggressiveness died. The old responsiveness died. It's dead. Leave it in the ground. I want to read a verse to you from, uh, from Romans chapter 8 out of the message translation. Was you able to get that, Becky? Put that up there. I want to say it's around verse... Um, Let's see. Sorry, y'all, this just popped up. It's in Romans 8, which is another great chapter to study. Paul talks about. <laughs> that is so good. Went too far. Okay, here we go. We're around verse 12 to 14. Can you get there? Watch this. But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Anyone of, a cor- anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. But for you who welcome him in, in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that, it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from the dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ. Don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? Isn't that good? There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. Isn't that well put? Give it a, give it a burial. Give the old man a funeral. Throw the funeral for him. Put the casket. Put him in the ground. And don't go visit him. And on All Saints Day, don't go bring him no flowers. I'm serious. Let him be. Why? Because you're not that anymore. You're new. That old spirit that used to live in you is gone. There's a new spirit in your heart. There's a new sheriff in town. Come on, somebody. He's, he's got all authority and he's living inside of you. And if you'll just change and shift the way you think and the way you respond and you'll start realizing, you know what? I am a child of Christ. I've been born again. I've been adopted into his family. I don't belong to myself anymore. I belong to him. He's the one that gives me self-control when I participate with him in it. And if I'll do so, I'll see the world around me changed. If you don't like the world you're living in, change it. Three of y'all believe that. (laughs) I'm just messing. Let me wrap this up this morning. Who's got your remote control? I can remember back in my uh, bouncing days, I, I failed off the football team at McNeese and my hopes of being a 
professional football player <laughs> grew strangely dim. <laughs> so I figured, well, the next best thing is to become a bodybuilder, right? So I started working out. I was already strong. I had a shape. It wasn't a good shape, but I had a shape. And so I figured I would cut some corners and take some steroids. And so I had a friend who had a friend who had a friend who could get some good stuff out of Mexico. God was with me. Because the first time I put that needle in my butt cheek, I was scared I was going to die and never wake up again. But all of a sudden, I got this strength inside of me. It was just ridiculous. And I was powerful. I went to the gym. It was almost instant. And I just, I became a beast. And I would work out. And I was like, wow. And people would say, man, dude, man, you're getting it, bro, bro. You look good. I mean, when dudes tell you you look good, if they're straight, that's a good thing. If they ain't straight, you better run. Fast. Just saying. <laughs> but something happened to me on the inside that I wasn't aware of. All of a sudden, my trigger got quicker. And I would snap in an instant. The silliest things in the world, I would snap. Just like that. It was like the switch went off. And I would go from normal Jamie to Franken Jamie. And much like Charchelle said... I opened up something in my life that I should have never opened up because when I eventually got off the steroids and I got my shape back, I still had that trigger. And for a long time, I went through my life with a short fuse, with a feather trigger, and it didn't take much to set me off and I had no self-control. Until one day I was filled with the Spirit of God, and one day God, God just began to, to deal with me about that. And I was reading and studying the Scriptures, and, and, and it, he brought this man into my life, this, this short pastor who, who just was incredible. And the first issue he dealt with me about ever was my anger issues and my quick temper. And God slowly but surely began to change me. And my patience started to grow and self-control started to grow. And I became a different person. And what I want to say to you today is this, is that the guy you know today, who's more patient than he's ever been because of God, not because of me, is not the same guy I was 10 years ago. Can you testify? God wants us to walk in self-control. Not just for the simple fact that we can look good and we can, we can be, a, a, you know, pleasing to people and people will like us. Not for that. But like for the story with Paul and Silas, because God wants to do something in your life. And bad things are going to come your way. And when they do, you need that self-control to get all the way through it till God shakes the earth. And when he shakes the earth... And you see the opportunity lying or kneeling before you. That you can go. Just believe in Jesus. 
You know why? Because it's not about you anymore. It's about the greater good of the kingdom. That's where I want us to go as a church, to go into the thinking that, that I'm here for the greater good of the kingdom, not for my good. And the cool thing is, is that when I focus on the greater good of the kingdom, God takes care of my good. It's all good. 